Chapter Eleven of Recollections of the Civil War. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Asterix. Recollections of the Civil War by Charles Dana. Chapter Eleven The War Department in War Times grant's plans blocked by halleck mr dana on duty at washington edwin mcmaster's stanton his deep religious feeling his swift intelligence and almost superhuman energy the assistant secretary's functions contract supplies and contract frauds lincoln's intercession for dishonest contractors with political influence a characteristic letter from sherman i reached washington about the middle of december and immediately gave to mr stanton an outline of grant's plan and reasons for a winter campaign the president mr stanton and general halleck all agreed that the proposed operations were the most promising in sight indeed mr stanton was enthusiastic in favour of the scheme as i presented it to him he said that the success of grant's campaign would end the war in the mississippi valley and practically make prisoners of all the rebel forces in the interior of mississippi and alabama without our being in the direct necessity of guarding and feeding them but halleck as a sine qua non insisted that east tennessee should first be cleared out and longstreet driven off permanently and things up to date secured before new campaigns were entered upon the result was that no winter campaign was made in eighteen sixty three to sixty four towards the alabama river towns and mobile its success in my opinion was certain and i so represented to mr stanton without jeopardizing our interests in any other quarter grant would have opened the alabama river and captured mobile a full year before it finally fell its success meant permanent security for everything we had already laid hold of at once freeing many thousands of garrison troops for service elsewhere as long as the rebels held alabama they had a base from which to strike tennessee i had unbounded confidence in grant's skill and energy to conduct such a campaign into the interior cutting loose entirely from his base and subsisting off the enemy's country at the time he had the troops and could have finished the job in three months after i had explained fully my mission from grant i asked the secretary what he wanted me to do mr stanton told me he would like to have me remain in the department until i was needed again at the front accordingly an office in the war department was provided for me and i began to do the regular work of an assistant to the secretary of war this was the first time since my relations with the war department began that i had been thrown much with the secretary and i was very glad to have an opportunity to observe him mr stanton was a short thick dark man with a very large head and a mass of black hair his nature was intense and he was one of the most eloquent men that i ever met 
stanton was entirely absorbed in his duties and his energy in prosecuting them was something almost superhuman when he took hold of the war department the armies seemed to grow and they certainly gained in force and vim and thoroughness one of the first things which struck me in mr stanton was his deep religious feeling and his familiarity with the bible he must have studied the bible a great deal when he was a boy he had the firmest conviction that the lord directed our armies over and over again have i heard him express the same opinion which he wrote to the tribune after donelson much has recently been said of military combinations and organizing victory i hear such phrases with apprehension they commenced in infidel france with the italian campaign and resulted in waterloo who can organize victory who can combine the elements of success on the battlefield we owe our recent victories to the spirit of the lord that moved our soldiers to rush into battle and filled the hearts of our enemies with dismay the inspiration that conquered in battle was in the hearts of the soldiers and from on high and wherever there is the same inspiration there will be the same results there was never any cant in stanton's religious feeling it was the straightforward expression of what he believed and lived and was as simple and genuine and real to him as the principles of his business stanton was a serious student of history he had read many books on the subject more than on any other i should say and he was fond of discussing historical characters with his associates not that he made a show of his learning he was fond too of discussing legal questions and would listen with eagerness to the statement of cases in which friends had been interested he was a man who was devoted to his friends and he had a good many with whom he liked to sit down and talk in conversation he was witty and satirical he told a story well and was very companionable there is a popular impression that mr stanton took a malevolent delight in browbeating his subordinates and every now and then making a spectacle of some poor officer or soldier who unfortunately fell into his clutches in the secretary's reception room for the edification of bystanders this idea like many other false notions concerning great men is largely a mistaken one the stories which are told of mr stanton's impatience and violence are exaggerated he could speak in a very peremptory tone but i never heard him say anything that could be called vituperative there were certain men in whom he had little faith and i have heard him speak to some of these in a tone of severity he was a man of the quickest intelligence and understood a thing before half of it was told to him his judgment was just as swift and when he got hold of a man who did not understand who did not state his case clearly he was very impatient if stanton liked a man he was always pleasant i was with him for several years in the most confidential relations and i can now recall only one instance of his speaking to me in a harsh tone it was a curious case among the members of congress at that period was a jew named strauss 
one of strauss's race who lived in virginia had gone down to the mouth of the james river when general butler was at fortress monroe and had announced his wish to leave the confederacy now the orders were that when a man came to a commanding officer with a request to go through the lines he was to be examined and all the money he had was to be taken from him general butler had taken from this virginian friend of strauss between fifty thousand and seventy five thousand dollars when a general took money in this way he had to deposit it at once in the treasury there a strict account was kept of the amount whom it was taken by and whom it was taken from butler gave a receipt to this man and he afterward came to washington to get his money he and strauss came to the war department where they bothered mr stanton a good deal finally mr stanton sent for me strauss is after me he said he wants that money and i want you to settle the matter what shall i do i asked what are the orders he took the papers in the case and wrote on the back of them referred to mr dana assistant secretary of war to be settled as in his judgment shall be best e m stanton the man then turned his attention from the secretary to me i looked into the matter and gave him back the money the next day mr stanton sent for me i saw he was angry did you give that jew back his money he asked in a harsh tone yes sir well he said i should like to know by what authority you did it if you will excuse me while i go to my room i will show my authority to you i replied so i went up and brought down the paper he had endorsed and read to him referred to mr dana assistant secretary of war to be settled as in his judgment shall be best then i handed it over to him he looked at it and then he laughed you are right he said you have got me this time that was the only time he spoke to me in a really harsh tone at the time that i entered the war department for regular duty it was a very busy place mr stanton frequently worked late at night keeping his carriage waiting for him i never worked at night as my eyes would not allow it i got to my office about nine o'clock in the morning and i stayed there nearly the whole day for i made it a rule never to go away until my desk was cleared when i arrived i usually found on my table a big pile of papers which were to be acted on papers of every sort that had come to me from the different departments of the office the business of the war department during the first winter that i spent in washington was something enormous nearly two hundred and eighty five million dollars was paid out that year from june eighteen sixty three to june eighteen sixty four by the quartermaster's office and two hundred and twenty one million stood in accounts at the end of the year awaiting examination before payment was made we had to buy every conceivable thing that an army of men would need we bought fuel forage furniture coffins medicine horses mules telegraph wire sugar coffee flour cloth caps guns powder and thousands of other things sometimes our supplies came by contract again by direct purchase again by manufacture 
of course by the fall of eighteen sixty three the army was pretty well supplied still that year we bought over three million pairs of trousers nearly five million flannel shirts and drawers some seven million pairs of stockings three hundred twenty five thousand mess pans two hundred seven thousand camp kettles over thirteen thousand drums and fourteen thousand eight hundred and thirty fifes it was my duty to make contracts for many of these supplies in making contracts for supplies of all kinds we were obliged to take careful precautions against frauds i had a colleague in the department the hon peter h watson the distinguished patent lawyer who had a great knack at detecting army frauds one which watson had spent much time in trying to ferret out came to light soon after i went into office this was an extensive fraud in forage furnished to the army of the potomac the trick of the fraud consisted in a dishonest mixture of oats and indian corn for the horses and mules of the army by changing the proportions of the two sorts of grain the contractors were able to make a considerable difference in the cost of the bushel on account of the difference in the weight and price of the grain and it was difficult to detect the cheat however watson found it out and at once arrested the men who were most directly involved soon after the arrest watson went to new york while he was gone certain parties from philadelphia interested in the swindle came to me at the war department among them was the president of the corn exchange they paid me thirty three thousand dollars to cover the sum which one of the men confessed he had appropriated thirty two thousand dollars was the amount restored by another individual the morning after this transaction the philadelphians returned to me demanding both that the villains should be released and that the papers and funds belonging to them taken at the time of their arrest should be restored it was my judgment that instead of being released they should be remanded to solitary confinement until they could clear up all the forage frauds and make complete justice possible then i should have released them but not before so i telegraphed to watson what had happened and asked him to return to prevent any false step now it happened that the men arrested were of some political importance in pennsylvania and eminent politicians took a hand in getting them out of the scrape among others the hon david wilmot then senator of the united states and author of the famous wilmot proviso was very active he went to mr lincoln and made such representations and appeals that finally the president consented to go with him over to the war department and see watson in his office wilmot remained outside and mr lincoln went in to labor with the assistant secretary watson eloquently described the nature of the fraud and the extent to which it had already been developed by his partial investigation the president in reply dwelt upon the fact that a large amount of money had been refunded by the guilty men and urged the greater question of the safety of the cause and the necessity of preserving united the powerful support which pennsylvania was giving to the administration in suppressing the rebellion watson answered very well mr president if you wish to have these men released all that is necessary is to give the order 
but i shall ask to have it in writing in such a case as this it would not be safe for me to obey a verbal order and let me add that if you do release them the fact and the reason will necessarily become known to the people finally mr lincoln took up his hat and went out wilmot was waiting in the corridor and came to meet him wilmot he said i cannot do anything with watson he won't release them the reply which the senator made to this remark cannot be printed here but it did not affect the judgment or the action of the president the men were retained for a long time afterward the fraud was fully investigated and future swindles of the kind were rendered impossible if watson could have had his way the guilty parties and there were some whose names never got to the public would have been tried by military commission and sternly dealt with but my own reflections upon the subject led me to the conclusion that the moderation of the president was wiser than the unrelenting justice of the assistant secretary would have been not a little of my time at the department was taken up with people who had missions of some kind within the lines of the army i remember one of these particularly because it brought me a characteristic letter from general sherman there was much suffering among the loyal citizens and the quakers of east tennessee in the winter of eighteen sixty three to sixty four and many relief committees came to us seeking transportation and safe conduct for themselves and their supplies into that country some of these were granted to the annoyance of general sherman then in command of the military division of the mississippi the reasons for his objections he gave in this letter to me headquarters military division of the mississippi nashville tennessee april the twenty first eighteen sixty four c a dana esq assistant secretary of war washington my dear friend it may be parliamentary but not military for me to write you but i feel assured anything i may write will only have the force of a casual conversation such as we have indulged in by the campfire or as we jogged along by the road the text of my letter is one you gave a philadelphia gentleman who is going up to east tennessee to hunt up his brother quakers and administer the bounties of his own and his fellow-citizens charity now who would stand in the way of one so kindly and charitably disposed surely not i but other questions present themselves we have been working hard with tens of thousands of men and at a cost of millions of dollars to make railroads to carry to the line of the tennessee enough provisions and material of war to enable us to push in our physical force to the next stop in the war i have found on personal inspection that hitherto the railroads have barely been able to feed our men that mules have died by the thousand that arms and ammunition had have laid in the depot for two weeks for want of cars that no accumulation at all of clothing and stores had been or could be moved at chattanooga and that it took four sets of cars and locomotives to accommodate the passes given by military commanders that gradually the wants of citizens and charities were actually consuming the real resources of a road designed exclusively for army purposes 
you have been on the spot and can understand my argument at least one hundred citizens daily presented good claims to go forward women to attend sick children parents in search of the bodies of some slain in battle sanitary committees sent by states and corporations to look after the personal wants of their constituents ministers and friends to administer the christian wants of their flocks men who had fled anxious to go back to look after lost families etc and more still the tons of goods which they all bore on their merciful errands none but such as you who have been present and seen the tens hundreds and thousands of such cases can measure them in the aggregate and segregate the exceptions i had no time to hesitate for but a short month was left me to prepare and i must be ready to put in motion near one hundred thousand men to move when naught remains to save life i figured up the mathematics and saw that i must have daily one hundred and forty-five carloads of essentials for thirty days to enable me to fill the requirements only seventy-five daily was all the roads were doing now i have got it up to one hundred and thirty-five troops march cattle go by the road sanitary and sutler's stores limited and all is done that human energy can accomplish yet come these pressing claims of charity by men and women who cannot grasp the great problem my usual answer is show me that your presence at the front is more valuable than two hundred pounds of powder bread or oats and it is generally conclusive i have given mr savory a pass on your letter and it takes two hundred pounds of bread from our soldiers or the same of oats from our patient mules but i could not promise to feed the suffering quakers at the expense of our army i have ordered all who cannot provide food at the front to be allowed transportation back in our empty cars but i cannot undertake to transport the food needed by the worthy east tennesseans or any of them in peace there is a beautiful harmony in all the departments of life they all fit together like the chinese puzzle but in war all is ajar nothing fits and it is the struggle between the stronger and weaker and the latter however it may appeal to the better feelings of our nature must kick the beam to make war we must and will harden our hearts therefore when preachers clamour and the sanitaries wail don't join in but know that war like the thunderbolt follows its laws and turns not aside even if the beautiful the virtuous and charitable stand in its path when the day and the hour comes i'll strike joe johnston be the result what it may but in the time allotted to me for preparation i must and will be selfish in making those preparations which i know to be necessary your friend w t sherman major general End of chapter 11